Greetings. It is that time again for Radio Book Club. It's the first Monday of the month on KZMU. This is Sherry Zollinger from Back of Beyond Books. Of course, I'm only one of the hosts for our book club every month. I am joined this evening with Jesse. Hi, Jesse from the library. Good evening, everyone. And Alyssa is with us tonight as well. Hi, Alyssa. Hi. Again, we are here every Monday, every uh, first Monday of the month. And of course, the three of us have uh, lots of book ideas and, and exciting books to talk to you about this evening. We're also, I'd say that this hour is going to be super jam-packed because we also have two interviews, two author interviews that are corresponding to a couple of events that are going on this week, both at the library and at the bookstore. So we're going to talk fast. We're going to think fast <laughs> and get out the pen and paper, like I, we always say, and, and start writing your notes. And let's, let's go for this ride together. The, the first thing that we like to do to kind of settle in is talk about what's happening event-wise at both the bookstore and at the library. Now, because we both do have events this week, we're going to kind of give you a little teaser of what's happening, and then uh, we're going to have both of our authors show up, hopefully, <laughs> today while we are on air. They're gonna, we're going to do a couple of about 10, 15-minute interviews. I want you to bear with me because this is the first time <laughs> that I have uh, run the board and uh, figured out how to use the phone. So we're, we've got our fingers crossed. It's going to be um, smooth, right? It's going to go smoothly. It's going to go well. <laughs> Okay, Jesse, can you give us a little rundown on library news? Yeah, you bet. So um, because December is a busy holiday month, the library's just got one event um, this Thursday, which is the 8th at 7 p.m. at the library. We are welcoming author Stephen Trimble, um, who is uh, an award-winning author. Um, he lives in uh, Utah part-time. Um, he's going to read to us from his latest book, The Mike File, a story of grief and hope in which he grapples with his brother's heartrending struggle with a poorly understood mental illness. This book is part detective story, social history, journey of self-discovery, and compassionate and unsparing memorial to a family and a forgotten life. There will be a post-reading discussion with a local mental health professional named Terry Galen, who has lots of experience. Um, she will lend her experience and add a contemporary perspective to this story. And this free event is presented in partnership with Back of Beyond Books. Again, that will be at the library December 8th, uh, Thursday at 7 p.m. And we will be um, talking with Mr. Trimble on the phone in about 30 minutes. Yes. Alyssa, hey, I want to test your microphone there. Say hello. Hello. Okay, that's better. Now I think, there. yes, now you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did a little microphone switch here. Alyssa, can you think of, uh, we do have the event. Can you think of any other news that's going on at the bookstore that we need to talk about? Absolutely. Yes. It is December, and so we have Books for Tots mm. going yes. on in the bookstore this month. So 
uh, I think it's 10 different area organizations yes. have come into the bookstore already. They've picked out their books that they want to make sure the kids that are involved in their organizations get into their hands. And we've set them aside and they're back in the uh, juvenile and kids area. And so anyone is welcome to come in and be a part of making sure that this fantastic generation of kids gets the books and the information and the world building and exploring that they so deserve. Yes, and we have all 10 of those organizations are just so excited every year for this program. And we love it. We love seeing the faces of the kids. We love seeing the faces of those that want to um, help out. It's, it's great. We love it. So books for tots. And then also on Friday the 9th, we will be hosting R.E. Barillo. Uh, we did an event with him uh, when he came out with his first title, both of these through Tory House Press. Uh, his first title, of course, I think listeners will recognize Behind the Bear's Ears, Exploring the Cultural and Natural Histories of a Sacred Landscape. Well, he's come out with a new one. It's called The Backwoods of Everywhere, Words from a Wandering Local. And... I'm excited to talk to him because this, it's interesting. I first kind of thought, well, this has a lot to do with the backwoods. You know, I was thinking more, it's definitely a a nature chronicle to a certain extent, but he's essentially exploring the idea of why we love the places we love from a historical uh, standpoint, from just a physical, the physicality of a place why we keep going back to a certain place. And he's definitely been around the block. He's um, lived in quite a few places from New Orleans to New York City. So this is um, also urban as as well as rural. And so we also are talking with him um, as well as Stephen today. We're queuing him up at about 545 and he'll be talking to us about his new book, And he'll be with us on Friday, uh, the 9th at 7 p.m. at Back of Beyond Books. So these are two back-to-back events we're excited about. Okay, so since we don't have a whole lot of time, (laughs) since we've got some interviews coming up, let's talk about, let's just kind of maybe take a look at the bestseller list real quick. Is there anything on there? I know I'm excited about one. Is there uh, one that you'd like to talk about? Either one of you? Jesse, do you have one that you want to sure. talk about? I know you're going to review one of um, the books I'm really excited about yes. on the nonfiction yes. list. So I will leave that to you. But I haven't read this yet, but I am excited about a book by um, that's just come out called Foster by Claire Keegan. Um, she, it's a slim little book and, um, I have been reading great reviews about it. A very tender story about taking children in children that, um, that need a home in, and I'm going to just leave it at that. I haven't read the book, so I cannot attest to it. It's been getting rave reviews and, um, there are a few holds on the library copy, but we do have one in circulation. Please place a hold if you're interested in reading Foster by Claire Keegan. You know, I'm about halfway through that, Jesse. No kidding. Yeah. Did you read the first one? I have not. Yeah. And it's exactly as you said, it's a very, very simple 
but it makes me think of The Old Man on the Sea by Hemingway. Interesting. It's got almost a little bit of a mythic quality to it where the language is just super spare, but the emotion is really, um, you know, kind of burning underneath. And so through such spare language, I don't think that's easy to do as a writer. And so, um, yeah, it just takes place in Ireland. And uh, this little girl just gets dropped off at some relative's house. Uh, Her dad drops her off there. And it's, it's her kind of the day-to-day operations of, of coming into a household that is um, really taking care of her. Hmm. It's, it's really interesting. Okay, so Alyssa, anything on there that or sparks you, has sparked you, wants to spark you? Yes. <laughs> yes, okay. I have also not read this book, but I've been looking at it on the nonfiction bestseller list for the past week or so the song of the cell mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by uh, siddhartha uh, Mukherjee. i think i said that almost right and this excites me because i'm realizing as i get older so many of the science classes that i was forced to take in high school and college i just wasn't in the brain space to appreciate them or to care just need to pass to get to whatever I was going to next and it's I don't know maybe it's as I get older like realizing the world my body you know and the landscape and natural history it's so much more intense and extravagant and beautiful and explainable and unexplainable than I think my little growing head had <laughs> the opportunity to fully appreciate. So books like this, when they come out, I get really excited about to start reading and just learn again without yes. the heaviness of being in high school or the heaviness of trying to get through a semester just to leisurely mm-hmm. explore something new. Wonderful. Well, Plus science has advanced so much in the field of <laughs> dealing with cells and um and reproduction and CRISPR and just all kinds of all kinds of advancements. And we know of course um Siddhartha Mukherjee, I'm gonna try a little different approach there. <laughs> from his book The Gene, The yes. Gene about genetics mm-hmm. and also um the Emperor of All Maladies about cancer. That's really, right. Really in depth looks yeah. at these um at these um scientific topics he is a master writer inapproachable i i have not read any of his books but i i think that he's approachable for um for the lay person as well and that's also what excites me about it i've heard um really good things about his style from both of his previous books and so this one i'm really excited to read and um It does make me wonder where the approachability was when I was in high school. How come... how come it couldn't be made approachable then? Yeah. But that's yeah. fine. Now's the time. I'm going to learn about the style. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to learn about the style. Yeah, I love yeah it. The, uh, the approach was just not quite right. Not quite right. And maybe I... It could have been what I was bringing to the table. Full disclosure. <laughs> but... <laughs> I have to say... I just looked over a little bit ago, and I'm not sure we were on air a few minutes ago. (laughs) And so, my friends, dear listenership, 
if you noticed a blank <laughs> spot, I'm sorry. I um, Lots of things going on in my head right now. So I just want to make sure you all know that we have two interviews queued up today, Stephen Trimble and R.E. Barillo. Those are happening uh, the last half an hour of the show. Those We're, we're going to be letting you know about, um, they're actually both going to be here this week, one at the library, one at the bookstore, um, and just in case there was some dead space that I totally apologize for. <sighs> okay. So... Um, I do want to, and this is one that I think all three of us are excited about, but it's a new, uh, beautiful, kind of mid-size hardback by Patti Smith. Um, Jesse, you love this one too? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, Patti, actually in 2008, her daughter Jesse, and there's some beautiful pictures of her daughter actually in this book, approached her about starting an Instagram account. And this was definitely not something Patty would have ever thought to do. She's definitely more analog, I would say. And, um, but Jesse said, you know, I think that this platform would really suit you. And also, there was a lot of faux Instagram sites out there, all claiming to be Patty. So for two reasons, one, she thought maybe it would be something that she'd like to do. But then the second reason was she just wanted to come on and say, hey, this is actually my account. And she called it This is Patty Smith, which you can find. Go look it up on Instagram. And so she started posting um, a post a day. And did love it. And a lot of her posts, because she, you know, she's a writer, but she's also a photographer. And she's been using, for many, many, many years, she's been using this wonderful, she calls it the Polar, it's the Polaroid Land 250, which is a um, Polaroid camera that she's used for years. And so what they've done is they've kind of compiled this Instagram slash kind of archive of Patty's Polaroids slash iPhone because she also got an iPhone and she kind of talks about this hybrid between this kind of analog camera which she could she's they stopped making the film for this camera which I think kind of pushed her a little bit further into using the camera on the iPhone as well so what this book is is kind of the collection of it's called a book of days and um, she's on the front cover with her Polaroid camera. And her trusty cat Cairo is on the back of the, of the book, the back cover of the book. And every page is, the, is a date um, in, in the calendar year. And every, it's like a, an analog Instagram set of Instagram posts. It's, it's actually, well, I hate to say it that way, but that's, I mean, they, they've done this really interesting hybrid between, you know, her Instagram site and then this physical book that is just absolutely beautiful. Because, of course, as much as she has an ear and, and a mind for writing, she has this photographic eye. And she also, I would say, imbues objects in her life in a kind of ritualistic way that everything is inspirational everything um, evokes beauty or at least the beauty as in the way that she sees it and um, so I wanted to just 
look at the 19th of January, which she introduces a picture of her Polaroid. And she says this, this is my Polaroid Land 250 with a Zeiss range finder, my idiosyncratic working companion for two decades of travel. With film discontinued, it is now obsolete, yet holds a place of prominence amongst my, among my work tools. Nothing really matches the atmosphere of the old Polaroid film, except perhaps a poem, a musical phrase, or a forest hung with mist. Jesse, tell me your thoughts about this, this book. So I, the first few days that I had this book, I just flipped around at random and just landed on pictures that arrested my, uh, my, uh, my eye, um, pictures of, of she's, there are self portraits of her. There are lots of, um, there are lots of photos at grave sites that, uh, commemorating authors and poets and artists that speak to her, especially on their birthdays. She'll put yes. those on the date that they were, that they were born. <clears throat> Um, and then after a few days of flipping around at random, I started to look at it sequentially and kind of enjoyed the flow. There mm. seemed to be, and I can't give you an example off the top of my head, but there seemed to be a, a flow and a continuity between uh, what she chose to, to, you know, lead from one day into the next. Um, I was particularly struck with the tenderness of her photographs of her daughter and her so, cat her cat and her and her her family there's yeah. some beautiful photographs of she and her husband fred sonic smith um of her bandmates and some friend and dear friends and there's so much personality and just her you can just her fondness for these people and yeah. tenderness toward these people comes through in these photographs and that is um probably largely to do with the film, the camera that she's using in the film. She's the right. intimacy uh -huh, of that. Uh -huh. Yeah. It really, it's a perfect, it's a perfect um, way to express uh, kind of her feelings as she's photographing. Photographs can be so clinical and cold, yes. but these are warm and really have some yeah. emotion behind them. I also really like the photos of the little mementos. She has, um, it looks like maybe a cluttered apartment, a cluttered house, <laughs> which I can totally relate to. That I she's have, cleaning up all the time. Yes, like, she's yeah. always <laughs> talking about cleaning, cleaning things up. That's right. Um, <laughs> but just the little things, the little objects, objets she has around mm -hmm. her house that are meaningful to her. Her mother's coffee cup next to um you know a a, a tibetan necklace yes. next to a book of tattered poetry um and just in these sort of black and white and sepia almost sepia tones that come out in these photographs and um they are just little collections of things that make her happy and i really relate. i really relate to those yeah. i have little vignettes around my house yes uh, as well, like almost little altars little, exactly yeah. yeah yeah a combination of memories yes um anyway so yes i think these i think this is a really really whether you are already a patty smith fan or not or a photography fan or not, exactly be, yeah it's worth taking a look at patty smith's book of days and they've almost created the book as something you want to hold you know it's a beautiful yeah. size and yeah. shape you're right and heft yeah. yeah it's a comfortable thing to hold Alyssa, would you be willing to tell me your birthday of course no you don't have to tell the date or the the year well what is <laughs> what is your birthday september 23rd okay i have it queued up because i already knew <laughs> <laughs> Everyone okay so um patty commemorates 
uh, John Coltrane on your birthday. Nice. Musician John Coltrane infused his own spiritual quest in his evolving compositions. His improvisation, A Kind of Prayer, the five-part meditations take us to the threshold of a celestial portal, giving form to the formless, unconstrained, yet palatable, inspirational, and divine. Nice photo nice. of Coltrane right there. Wow. So that's, that's for you. Beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that nice? One of the things that I love about that book mm-hmm. and the concept and artists like Patti Smith mm. is that they're always pointing you mm. to other artists. Um, mm-hmm. That is so true. People, other events or places that have clearly inspired them so much. And it makes you want to know more about maybe these people or these places that you would never have thought of on your own, but she just creates and instills this sense of trust. Like, no, really you need to know more and listen to John Coltrane like this. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's the generosity too, as Mm -hmm. uh, she had, there's some really good interviews with her out there right now. And she talks about being an artist and, and, you know, an artist who is solid within their work and their creative path, they're generous. Mm-hmm. They, they want you to know what's going on with other artists. They want to lead you to their own inspirations. They want you to be inspired by the many. Mm-hmm. And she's good at that. Okay, well, I would like us to, we're, we're going to be doing an interview in just a bit, but um, can we get, Alyssa, can we get one of your books uh, yes. in, one of your reviews? Absolutely. Okay, that'd be great. So I was telling you a bit earlier to yes. Sherry. Yes, yes. I realized the past, I don't know, seven or eight books that I've read have either been fiction or nonfiction, but written by women with the main focus, either the character or if it's a memoir, obviously themselves, as being kind of unlikable women, or at least stereotypically unlikable. Yeah. And they're not fitting into, they're, they're just not fulfilling whatever roles they're supposed to as women, quote unquote, in the, the appropriate way or the expected way or whatever. And so if someone else was writing about them, they would probably be an antagonistic, not the main character, maybe the anti-hero, and I am loving it. (laughs) 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 Loving it. So I recently read by Samantha Hunt, Mm. The Seas. And it's a really quick read, um, and it is the, the narrator is a girl who is about 19 years old living with her family still in a very small seaside town and this town is completely um, kind of reliant on fishing and um, that just that whole economy very small isolated and surrounded by the sea and this narrator is incredibly unreliable it's her story and it's all like first person narrative almost the whole way throughout and you think you understand who she is and what she's talking about and then she'll say something like is this a total fantasy is like what planet is she even on right now and you it doesn't really resolve Mm -hmm. but 
her whole story gets told within the course of just maybe a couple hundred pages. And it's so incredible and so intriguing and confusing. And you just really wish you could actually sit down with this character and say, no, no, wait a second. What? What just happened? <laughs> and I, it, it's really fun to read. And why do you think, do you think there's that really, it seems like really nice tension. It's as if the new, you know, the new inspirational characters, um, they're, they're, they're just different than they used to be. Or we're needing different, um, yeah, we're, we're needing something different from them. Yes. And I'm, yeah, I think what I like what I've been getting not just from this character in the seas but in the other books that I've been reading is we as humans and as women are we can we contain multitudes we're not ever ever just one thing and to write and successfully kind of communicate that this character is just like any other human and you're going to love this about them. You're going to hate this about them. You're going to have no idea what to do with this aspect of who they are. <laughs> and you don't need to. Yeah. You don't have to know what to do because yeah. people don't have to know what to do with every part of me. Mm. I don't always have to know what to do with it. Maybe <laughs> I don't have to do anything with it. Exactly. Maybe it just is. And I think these really nuanced and in-depth and multitudinous characters almost soothe that very human part of all of us. Mm. Uh, well put. Yes, mm. very well put. Well, we're coming up on, we're coming up on the <laughs> bottom of the hour. <laughs> and just to remind everyone, we are listening to Radio Book Club right now, KZMU, 90.9 or 106.7 uh, FM. And we are going to, if, if you're just tuning in, we've got a couple of interviews queued up. The first one is going to be with Stephen Trimble, who has written a book called The Mike File, A Story of Grief and Hope. And we've got Stephen coming into the Grand County Public Library on the 8th at 7 p.m. And we're going to uh, queue him up right now for a little interview and I'm going to have uh, Jesse do a little intro um, let you know about his book a little bit and then I'm going to get him on the phone so go ahead Jesse sure so Stephen Trimble has written uh, and edited several books we know him recently from uh, editing uh, Red Rock Stories uh, Utah's Public Lands, Capital Reef Reader. He has um, done the text and photos for Sagebrush Ocean, Natural History of the Great Basin, and Canyon Country, just to name a few. He turns his lens inward for this current book and writes about family history, long buried family history. He tells stories and words and photographs about the lands and people of the West, typically, and his books have won numerous awards. Um, he has taught writing to undergrads and master's students at University of Utah. The Mike File is his 25th book, uh, as a writer, photographer, or editor, or um, 
or both. And um, do we have Mr. Trimble on the line? Yes. <laughs> Welcome. Hi. Hi. Oh, we did it, Stephen. We did it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well done. Testing, testing. <laughs> it looks like we can hear you pretty good. Okay, we're going to just let Jesse kind of ride into this interview with you. And for our listeners, we have Stephen Trimble up on air with us right now. Stephen, tell us where we, uh, where you are in the world right now. <laughs> uh, we split our time between Salt Lake City and Torrey, and I am in, I am in a very wintry Salt Lake City at the moment. Oh, <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us on air tonight. Um, with a view towards encouraging people to come to the reading on Thursday, can you um, summarize your book? Tell us a little bit about um, what to expect. Absolutely. So when I was just a little kid, many, many years ago, I had a brother, a half-brother, my brother Mike, who left home when I was six with a really serious um, diagnosis of schizophrenia. And my parents were at wit's end and could think of nothing to do but to make our family safe. And Mike left home and never lived at home again and died many years ago. And I waited until everybody had died. My parents had died, Mike had died, before I decided, okay, I need to find out who Mike was, what was his life like, and create a, really kind of a, a memorial, bring him back to life, and figure out what his life and death meant to me. So my book, The Mike File, is the story of my journey to sort of reclaim my brother from the past and figure out what it was like to be suffering from mental illness in the 1950s and 1960s and uh, and really understand what that meant to my family and especially to me. And so it's kind of a detective story and a family story and my story of self-realization. Mm -hmm. um, the more I read, I, I read this book uh, this weekend, and the further I got into the book, the more I respected your courage for to looking into this story. This was a really, really hard hard chapter in your family's lives i have so much compassion for your whole family your mother especially what gave you the courage to dig dig in here and um, look at this clear clear-eyed as you did well thank you so much for those words uh it was hard and as a as a person as a writer who mostly writes nonfiction that isn't about me mm -hmm. i started with Research. I started with what a writer friend calls research rapture and decided, okay, let me start by figuring out who was my mother at 20 when she had Mike in a brief first marriage in Montana. And what? how did she get there? How did my family of Jewish immigrants migrate to Montana? So I did all this research about family history and the story of how we treat the mentally ill all through the 20th century. And that was easy for me to do. And I wrote a long draft and told Mike's story really from a distance. And my friends and my readers and my editors thought that was a terrible draft. They had trouble reading it. <laughs> there was all this stuff, all this stuff that got in the way of Mike's story. So I started whittling it down. And that's, that's where I got to the emotional core, which I guess is what you're talking about when you mm -hmm. say I was courageous. Mm -hmm. I just kept pushing 
to figure out, okay, what is really the core of the story and how did I feel? How did I feel about it? What did Mike's life mean to me? Yeah. It took me literally years to get I, to that point. Yeah, I, I bet that was quite a process. In the uh, in the the closing notes, I I read that your your wife was reading your early drafting and was encouraging you to quit using the word "we felt this" or "we said that we did this" and was like, "This is about your relationship and your experience." And she was right, but it took me a long time to get there. You know, my readers and my family kept telling me over and over get rid of all that extra stuff you know get down into the core of how you felt and that's a hard thing to do yeah it's really a hard thing to do yeah there's safety in being in in numbers (laughs) there's a there's a safety and a comfort with like this is how the whole family felt or um very interesting yeah yeah i mean self-realization really does take a long time but i was i was searching for empathy too i was searching for empathy for my brother and I really had not given him a lot of thought. It was a secret story in my family, like like so many families. We, we didn't want to talk about the fact that we had someone in our family with mental illness, even though almost all of us have someone in our circles who is struggling with mental health. Utah actually ranks first in the country for the percentage of people who struggle with mental health. About 30% of Utahns have mental issues of some kind. Wow. And so it's a uni- it's really a universal story. Wow. How many years, I'm just going to ask real quick, how many years, this is Sherry, uh, how many years did it take you, Stephen? Well, it took nine years did total it? from the time I yeah. started the book until it was published, but I worked on a couple of other books along the way as yeah. well. Did you already have a therapeutic framework or a lens to look through while you were researching and writing this? Did it come out during the process of writing? Um, I recognize some terminology and some uh, framework that, um, that is, that is uh, from therapy. And I wondered, um, wondered how, well, how you found that. Well, I, I talked to a lot of caregivers and psychologists and mental health professionals. Uh, this this all took place in Colorado, so I was doing my research in Denver and in Pueblo, where the Colorado State Hospital is. But, um, as, you know, I often partner with a psychologist or a therapist when I do a pre- presentation. And in Moab, I'll be partnering with Terry Galen. But uh, several of those folks have pointed out that many people who become psychologists have someone in their family who struggles with mental health, and that's sort of the inspiration for their professional choice and i do have to admit my bachelor's degree was in psychology Hmm. you know i never practiced as a psychologist but um but i i had that interest and the language comes from just doing lots of reading and and talking to folks who were dealing with with people and using the language of treatment and uh, that's the language you use when you when you talk about mental illness yeah and that language keeps evolving. You know, in the 50s, half of diagnoses in America were schizophrenia. You know, it was kind of a big bucket that we yep. dumped everybody in. And now it's a relatively rare diagnosis. Wonderful. And it may be a term that we abandon completely in the next few years. Oh, I hope so. Um, 
Your uh, real quick, I I found it very interesting that your father evolved uh, during this experience from, or your your step, your oh, I guess that was your real dad, Mike's stepdad, um, was a, a conservative, political conservative at first, and throughout this um, experience of trying to help Mike, and they did try, they did everything that they had access to at at that point in mm-hmm. history. Um, but he evolved into a social liberal saying we can't all pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and that we need these social safety nets. I found that fascinating. That's right. Yeah, that was his origin story for what he ended up in his 90s uh, describing himself as a, a radical Democrat. Yeah. Uh, but what my dad said was he looked at Mike, who was born needing help from society and the world to get through, and then he looked at me, you know, a regular kid of normal intelligence who, as my dad put it, had the world by the tail. And he started out as a conservative Republican, believing that everybody should do their best to take care of themselves. And even if that's true, there's still a lot of people that need help. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the liberal consensus, the Democrats created that societal safety net and tried to keep it going. And he did everything he could as a voter to to promote that and was quite willing to talk about it with great enthusiasm. Hmm. Wow. Uh, you reference authors such as Brene Brown and uh, Leslie Jameson wrote the empathy exams, Robert Kolker, we know um, Hidden Valley Road. Do you have any other suggested reading for people who may be looking for resources to help them deal with similar issues in their own family? And which of Brene Brown's books would you recommend? Uh, well, Brene Brown is so prolific. I, I think I'd yeah. start with her TED Talks. Oh, good. Um, um, vulnerability. Know, really, <laughs> yeah, she's really quite inspirational. Uh, there's another really, really good book by Ron Powers called Nobody Cares About Crazy People. Uh, there's sort of a genre of books written by parents who have had uh, kids, often sons, with schizophrenia, who have written books about their own family story and mixed in that with the history of our treatment of mental health and mental illness. And uh, both Bob Kolker's book, The Hidden Valley Road, and Ron Powers' book uh, are kind of like that. And then there's another book by Pete Early that um, does the same thing. And the personal stories in those books are tragic, but those are all really fine writers that give you a lot of backstory about really how poorly we have done in uh, dealing with the folks in our our families and circles of friends. Um, Robert Whitaker has also written several books. He's he's quite fierce about uh, the rights of mentally ill people to refuse medication. He's very, very much convinced that long-term psychotropic drugs do more harm than good. Hmm. So there's a lot of controversy, and so a lot of very good reading Uh out there. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us on the air. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with before we say goodnight? Well, I just encourage everyone in Moab to come to the library on Thursday night. Yeah, yep. And bring good questions and stories and... uh, There'll be time to, to have a conversation in, a dis, in addition to listening to me tell Mike's story and hear Terry's comments as yeah. a therapist on that story. Yeah, it's really impressive how many coincidences um, in Terry's car- career there are that parallel some of uh, the places and people that you 
you talk about in your book. Yeah, she even worked at Colorado State Hospital, yeah. so she has many connections. Amazing. Stephen, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate you joining us tonight. Thank Delighted you. to be here. I look, I look forward to Thursday night. We'll see you soon. Good night. And that was Jesse. Good work on that interview. Um, that was Stephen Trimble. We were talking about The Mike File, A Story of Grief and Hope. He'll be at the library at 7 p.m. on Thursday night. We'll be having uh, not only Stephen talking about his book, but Terry Galen will be the, there to facilitate a conversation around um, mental health and this book as well. Okay, so what we're going to do now, we do uh, have another interview for you with with R.E. Barillo, uh, but I'm going to have, I'm going to go ahead and have Alyssa give us another book review, if that's okay. Okay. All right. Go ahead and start that little review while I get us queued up with uh, another interview. <laughs> well, the book that I just finished yesterday is by Alyssa Washuda, and it is called White Magic, and it is a book of essays. Alyssa is a member of the Cowlitz Indian tribe, and these essays do a really incredible job of incorporating her own personal experience and um, her life story with the greater story of indigenous peoples, um, particularly from the Cowlitz tribe, but also um, quite a few tribes in the uh, Washington state area and all around the Columbia River. Um, And the way that she very purposefully plays with timeline and plays with storylines within all of these essays where you're sometimes left with a question of is is she talking about herself and her family or is this a historical experience that she has um, that she has uh, understanding of and research on um, is it's just a really interesting way to talk about um the way that our generations and the the epigenetics of our family lines really can impact us and how the decisions and the fears and the doubts and the things that you're really excited about as well can sometimes really be traced back hundreds and thousands of years in the cultural life of where you've come from. And it was honestly a super tough read and really well worth it. All right. So we are going to queue up R.E. Barillo here. But before we do that, I am going to give a little bit of a, a little bit of a bio about R.E. So um, in just a minute, we're going to be talking with R.E. Barillo. And he just came out with a book called The Backwoods of Everywhere, Words from a Wandering Local. He's an archaeologist and cons- conservation advocate. His, his book, Behind the Bear's Ears, Exploring the Cultural and Natural Histories of a Landscape, Sacred Landscape, won the Forward Indies Editor's Choice Prize in Nonfiction. Barilla's writing has appeared in Archaeology Southwest, Colorado Plateau Advocate, and the Salt Lake Tribune and elsewhere. He currently lives in Southern Arizona, where he works as a project manager for Paleo West. So, R.E., are you there? 
I am there. Hello. Oh, you are there. This is incredible. Hello. You're here with Jesse from the Public Library. Hello. And Alyssa hello, and I hello. both from the bookstore. Hello, hello. We're excited to have you on for a few minutes. And uh, we've been telling our listeners that we've got you queued up to come to the bookstore on Friday at 7, uh, coming with your new book, The Backwoods of Everywhere. So we'd love to just get a little rundown on what this new book is about, R.E., and um, give us a little sense for, um, yeah, writing the book and and what it's all about. Sure thing. Uh, The two books that I've got on shelves now, um, you mentioned one already, the Behind the Bears Ears, which focuses on the the history and conservation efforts, the history of archaeology and and so on there in southeast Utah. Um, this is so. This one is the follow-up to that one, and they both, as a general theme, they both have the sort of mo of public scholarship. So, trying to be informative uh, and fingers crossed entertaining toward the public on such topics as history, archaeology, conservation, indigenous cultures, and so on. Um, but while the first one focused on bear's ears, the, the struggle, the conservation battle with bear's ears uh, specifically with like side tendrils here and there on, on other related topics. The second one is it's a lot more loose. Uh, it's essentially a, a chaptered essay collection on various topics relating to conservation, relating to exploring the Southwest, why these things are important how I came to discover them, how others came to discover them, uh, and their relevance in a bigger picture. And it's it's more personal than the first one, and I think it's also more uh, sort of approachable, um, you know, less, less academic and more uh, just more humanistic stories about, you know, just about the, the Southwest, the people, the history of the place, and a lot of criticism. Um, <laughs> And I'll be so I'll be talking. I'll be I'll be ostensibly on there to do you know to sign and to discuss and, and promote the second one. But I'll be discussing both of them like they do. They really uh, articulate with each other um, with the central theme again of like Southeast Utah and, and you know all things related to human history there. And also, there's a few other places that show up in this collection as well, kind of giving a little bit of your history in a way, kind of all over the map a bit, you you know, going from, uh, there's this kind of idea of place that, uh, of course, the Southwest is there, um, but you show up in a couple other locations, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the subtitle was chosen by my publisher, and I think it, I think it ended up be kind of working, because the the secondary theme that I'm working on uh, in, in that book is the, this idea of like a personal sense of place and where one fits in, where one can feel like a local. And it really wasn't until I found the northern southwest uh, that I felt that way. And that was after a tremendous amount of exploration and, and, uh, and basically searching all over, literally all over North America from Alaska on down to the tip of uh, uh, the Yucatan, which kind of shows, I, I love the chapter called the landscape landscape psychology, kind of this idea that um, you know how we match to a certain extent um, to the color, the the weather. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I know you don't even love the term psychology so much, but 
Um, maybe talk a little a little bit about that chapter. Yeah, I just I think I, I have an inblown. Uh, uh, nah, maybe not ingrown. That's not the way to put it. I had a bias beaten upon me um, studying anthropology for years, but I'm I'm wary of psychology because it always works. Starting with an n equals one. Here's this individual. Here's what I find about this individual, and then we're going to apply it to a million people. And I'm always a little, I don't know. Anyway, but where I'm going with that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you liked that chapter in particular. That was one of the two chapters that uh, my publisher and I were were worried were just a little too playful, yeah, and <laughs> whimsical, and not quite as rooted in science. But we oh, I loved it. Screw it, they're fun. <laughs> we kept them in there. The other one being uh, quarantine ecology. Yes. But, <sighs> I, I am convinced that there is at least a kernel of truth to it. I when I I grew up in upstate New York, which is very gray. Uh, lived for a while in Portland, Oregon, which is very gray. Uh, lived in Salt Lake City, and of course I now live in Phoenix, and both of those places are very hemmed in, and you can't really see the horizon so much. And I think they have a deep, deep effect on our uh, our sense of comfort in a place. Where yeah. we gravitate toward, it just in general, we gravitate toward blues like the deep blue of a blue sky or to the, the reds and oranges and yellows that you find in a place like Moab. Yeah. I also really resonated with this word local, and I think this is, uh, I think Jesse and Alyssa can both attest to this. The, this word local is quite, it's a big word here in Moab. Like, are you a local are you a local or not? If you're a local, you've got stripes and colors and yeah. How what, long have you? How long do you have to live here to to, to be, be a local? Call? How long? And so, um, RE does some deep dive into that. Do you want to speak to that just a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to give it all away. Yes, and quick, that difference but, between um, local and indigenous, which I thought was interesting too. And again, you you don't need to give it all away. Just maybe a little tidbit there. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, that's it's a topic. It's a word, even more than just a topic. It's a seed, like a kernel of thought that's been driving me crazy for years and years. <laughs> because it's one that people. It doesn't seem to have a firm definition. It's one that people throw around. It's politicized. Uh, it's weaponized, as in the case of Bears Ears. You know, we're looking out for the locals, and like, are you really? You sure? Like, that's a uranium company owned by a conglomerate in Canada. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to what extent can somebody play the local card or when does somebody feel local? And, like, on a personal level, I think when, when you and the place really kind of shake hands with each other, like you're, you, you and the place really, you, you feel like you fit together. I'm happy. I'm content to just sit on that. Yeah. But, you know, really there's a, there's a range. I mean, as with so many things, the range of, of speciation, the range of human gender and sexuality, it's, you know, there's spectra. Yeah, these things they you know there's it's not like this category this category this category the world doesn't come that way and so that spectrum you know like the deep and shallow ends of a pool on one end is like tourist uh or or traveler somebody popping in and way over on the other end would be indigenous you know somebody whose whose ancestry and roots and family have been there so long that the place is literally reflected in them you know like the the enlarged lungs that you find among folks living at high altitude in the Himalayas and right. so on, like they're indigenous, they belong. And somewhere in between is this nebulous concept, local, hmm. where 
you know, where we plant our flag and say, well, I've been here long enough to, to, to say this or to feel this way. And it's very subjective. It's fluid. Yeah. And it's tricky. It's, it's fun to explore the ways that people, uh, you know, the, the ways that people understand it, misunderstand it, use it, misuse it. But it varies quite, quite differently from uh, indigenous. And it's a card you can't play over indigenous. You know, it, ne- it never Of course. That. Yeah. Well, it's going to be this conversation and many more that we're going to be having with RE on Friday at 7 at the, the bookstore. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you go, RE? Not exactly. Bring your funny bone. I can't guarantee I'm going to make <laughs> people laugh, but I'll be talking about the topic of humor a lot because cool. it's, it's extremely important to me when approaching these topics. Um, nice. I okay. try to use it as often as I can, for better or for worse. <laughs> Well, thank you. It was a short and sweet, but um, thanks for showing up, and we'll see you on Friday. All right, I'll see you there. Thanks okay, for me. take care. Good night. Okay, so that was our E, and we have almost done it, my friends. Is anyone just burning with the desire to give us a final review? Mm-hmm. Yes, Jesse. I <laughs> knew because we didn't get one from <laughs> my you. Turn, my turn. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dirk Vaughn, for recommending The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor. It's kind of billed as a sci fi thriller. I disagree. I think it's kind of more uh, slow moving and contemplative. A marine biologist specializing in cephalopod intelligence discovers a species of octopus, octopus with astonishing language skills. Um, this story, this story is really fascinating. We are thinking about what does it mean to be human? Um, what is language and how do you, what is consciousness and, um, how do you communicate with an alien species, be it an android, a, with, a um, with self-awareness uh, that pops up in the story or with a sea creature like an octopus who has a completely different frame of reference but is starting to communicate via symbols with the humans on the shore in this Vietnamese village that we're in. I am enjoying the heck out of this book. Um, I'm, oh, halfway through it, and I am... Um, I'm here. I feel safe to recommend The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor. Um, this is, uh, this is asking some pretty interesting questions. There's no neat conclusions at the end of this tale, I've been warned. Um, but there are multiple avenues to contemplate how invention inevitably serves both creation and destruction. And how do the values of a civilization reflect the values? They don't always reflect the values of individuals. And how fast the communi- communication gulf can be between thinking and conscious minds. I'll leave it there. Octopuses thank are you. awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, I think we've done it. I'm afraid that we didn't get a lot of book reviews in this time, but we did get some super cool authors. Well worth it, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, thank you, Alyssa and Jesse, for coming. Thank you, And Shuri. joining um, me here in studio for another uh, KZMU Radio Book Club. Just to be clear, we do, we will see this listing of books uh, on the library website mm-hmm. yes which is what jesse uh it's moablibrary.org if you go to our events tab radio book club is there and then there's a link to look at recently discussed books cool yeah. and we try to get this up on bookshop.org we 
do. We, we do. try so we hard. We try so hard. <laughs> and Molly and, also puts these And some then of these book Molly puts up. these up mm-hmm. and you can go you can find those um, the two week archive kzmu.org program tab and then the program schedule and then the forever archive archive is kzmu.org uh, news public affairs tab and then radio book, book club and also I think we cannot forget that the podcast is also available on Friday afternoons Apple podcast or Spotify public affairs on kzmu which is cool Very cool. we're on Spotify Okay, well, we will see you all next month. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And take care. Good night, everyone. Good night. You can hear Radio Book Club live on the KZMU Airwaves every first Monday of the month at 5 p.m. Find archives and book mentions at kzmu.org.